Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Larry Doyle. Larry is an online health and fitness coach with over 15 years of experience. I've been following Larry's work for a little while now. What I appreciate about him is that when you see trainers who spend a decent amount of time in the industry, 5, 10, or even 15 years, it's quite visible to see their motivation diminish. They've been in the industry for so long, so they stick it out anyway, but their passion and their desire to be the best coach is clearly not what it used to be. Larry is the opposite of this. From what I've seen and learned about him in today's episode, his passion and desire grows by the year, and it's inspiring to me that you can continue to sustain your passion for helping people even decades into your career. In this conversation, you can expect to learn how optimistic Larry is about us getting out of the current obesity epidemic why Larry chooses to focus on the everyday individual versus athletes, and Larry's three fundamental principles to improving your health and well-being, along with much, much more. So without further ado, Larry Doyle. Larry Doyle, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great, mate. A pleasure to be on. It's, uh, It's good to connect as well. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you here, especially with the vast amount of industry experience you have. I'm looking forward to diving into it today. But to give the listeners a bit of an idea of who you are, who is Larry Doyle and what is it that you do? I'm an online coach. Uh, I've been in the industry for 18 years now, closing in on 18 years. It's not to say that I've been an online coach for that duration or that length of time. I've been on the floor. I've had about 50,000 hours or 40,000 hours of hands-on experience with personal training as well, generally helping a lot of the gym population now at the moment. And it's kind of been a big focus of my audience for a long time with my coaching, even though I've been involved with bodybuilding with some competition prep, photoshoot prep, stuff like that as well too. Well, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I'm 36 years of age, getting older and grumpier as I progress along through the years. And uh, (laughs) yeah, live in Southeast Ireland. That's pretty much me in a nutshell. Amazing. And let's uh, take a few steps back. So where did your personal health and fitness journey begin? My personal health and fitness journey began. I was... 
Oh, it's, it's, it's cool to a degree. I think it's a, the way a lot of people got into it back in the day where we picked up some old magazine because like the whole thing wasn't as accessible back then. And like when I'm 36, right, it makes me sound like I'm 76 talking about this, but there wasn't as much media or there wasn't as much exposure from fitness and, and health and stuff like that as well. Back then it was kind of, there was this weird transition where people were coming in and out of health and fitness and stuff like that. It wasn't so popular, but my brother for whatever reason, had a health and fitness magazine. And it was a special expose on Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he had this magazine and I, I looked through it. I actually still have the magazine as well too. It's, it's here somewhere. And I start looking through and it was, I just got fascinated by it. And then he had a, an old weightlifting bench at home and he used to do some of the routines and workouts off it. And when he was away at work and I'd come back from school, there was about a two hour window where I would be able to sneak into his bedroom, lift some weights, get some stuff like that done. So that was when I was about 10 or 11, maybe. Then obviously that progressed. I wanted to find out a little bit more. I started to sneak into the local uh, leisure center at home here when I was about 14, pretending I was 16, uh, because maybe I was a little bit bigger after lifting some weights, whatever. <laughs> and uh, I got into it from that point, started training loads. Then progressed to start playing a lot of rugby. And uh, from there, I got into uh, playing at a slightly higher level when I was in youths, got some injuries and I actually got introduced to a fantastic physio and it was a lot of luck that I came by this guy. And he introduced me to the world of Charles Polquin. He's like, you're, you're training loads, but you're training really poorly and we can make it an awful lot better. So I got into Charles Polquin when I was about 16, 17, when I was fortunate as well to get introduced to that. That transitioned to me getting very curious. So I took level one, level two, PIC, became a coach became a when I was working as a lifeguard and a trainer as well too in the, the local leisure center teaching some swimming lessons but mostly intrigued by the weight room then and then that progressed on over years and years and years studying non-stop essentially if I wasn't on the floor I was reading or I was lifting or I was trying some of the workouts and sessions that I would have got from T-Nation or, or any of those kind of uh, older sites collecting magazines stuff like that but then curiosity got the better and I started to develop more as a coach and start helping people out for free start getting some results people started to want to pay me for my services then and that developed into where we are now essentially in a in a nutshell with people in 24 or 25 countries around the world and hundreds of clients so it's it's been a an interesting transition across the years yeah it's been some evolution and if you didn't meet that physio and you weren't introduced to charles poliquin's work where do you think you'd be right now I don't know. Uh, I've been asked this so many times. I had no interest in anything else. My dad and my family were, were carpenters by trade. So it was Doyle and Sons Carpentry. And I was the youngest of four kids. And I was a bit of the black sheep because I didn't go into the family business. I didn't get involved with it from that front. So, you know, had I not got injured that time and not met that physio, who knows? I, I, I couldn't tell you. I'd love to make up something else. I had no other interests other than lifting weights and playing sports at the time. So it would have been in some element of sports management, I guess. Yeah, I was about to say, maybe it would have worked out in the end in some form of the root of sports or fitness. When it comes to your own personal journey, you did end up in bodybuilding. When did you start going down that route? Again, I guess from the very early days, I got very interested in bodybuilding. And yeah, particularly in Southeast Ireland, there was nobody competing. There was nobody that I knew of at all who had an interest in it from that aspect. And again, from reading, from getting in contact with some people on the online forums, stuff like this, I started digging into it a little bit more. But it, ju it just became very interesting to me, the whole process, not the actual competition itself. And I think that's where a lot of those now who are getting into the game in this current, I guess, social media dense exposure kind of phase of it all, they're getting into it for 
into the wrong things and they're getting into it purely for the outcome related goals where I was very much so in love with the process of defueling the body for the sessions, training incredibly hard, recovering very hard as well on the outside of it all. And just the whole encompassing aspect of it, of kind of, I guess, personal development as opposed to bodybuilding. It was kind of building a person as a whole, which sounds a little bit airy fairy or a little bit woo woo, but that was really how I got into it. And that's, that was the allure of it. And then there was the physical aspect of it. You look bigger, you feel better, you feel stronger. It was bodybuilding as a whole body, as opposed to just purely looking for trophies or outcomes from that point of view. So that was like, I think it was around 24, 25. I got into it in terms of like competitive interests and then start to develop a little bit more. I competed for about six, seven years and that was it. I, I parked it then and that was, uh, it kind of my interest waned as I, I got into the other side of it then and business started getting a lot busier from my personal training uh, business, which had grown quite a bit at that time. And then my own interest because I, not that it was starting to impact my service or the quality of service, but I was just far more interested in helping more people than I was with my competitive endeavors. And for me to get another trophy or me to kind of enter another competition, it didn't mean as much to me as to get a better result with a client, whatever their result was, whether it was losing five pounds or 10 pounds or improving their relationship with themselves or their body or their food or whatever it may have been. That was just far more interesting to me to bring people along the journey that I've been on and expose them to a better style of training or a better experience from a coaching perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that speaks a lot to the fact that if you do want to have life after even just your job or the sport that you partake in, it's really important to have something else going on. I feel that if you only had bodybuilding, you could still be doing that now. And it's interesting how a lot of people have a really tough time with stepping away from the stage, stepping away from, not even stepping away from the stage, but just stepping away from being lean all the time and getting all that exposure and attention, right? So it's interesting that because you had that, your interest eventually started to just decrease on that front and then your increase on the front of you helping people. But had you not had that there, you wonder where that would have gone. And that's probably where a lot of people find themselves, I imagine. Yeah. Um, people tend to go all in on bodybuilding, you know, wanting to improve themselves. And it can be a very selfish endeavor from that front. And like, there's an awful lot of like bodybuilding gets a really bad rap and a really bad, I guess, amount of coverage from media and stuff like that as well, too. And it's, it's seen as dangerous and completely unhealthy, which it is to a degree if you're doing it to the absolute extremes. But there's also an awful lot of benefits that can be got from it by giving people a lot of purpose or giving people a lot of structure, uh, but also a lot of education and yes. experience that they can hand over to others as well, too. And in part, not that you're bringing, you know, your average Joe or Jane on a bodybuilding prep, but that you can give them experiences and insights in how to handle their lives when they're working at a high level or how to go all in on some other elements of their health and fitness as well too. And there's a, still a lot of similarities and crossovers from that with, I guess, every element, you know, because people that we deal with tend to be, I guess, higher end professionals, you know, normal individuals, whatever it may be, but they've gone all in on other aspects of their life but they've never gone all in on their health and fitness. And now we can allow them to bridge that gap that little bit more to get them involved and incorporate health and fitness into their life as well, as opposed to seeing it like some big elusive goal that they're never able to accomplish because it's, it's so hard. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a couple of different thoughts on that. The first one that comes to mind is I I don't think there's a coincidence that the fact that a lot of people who do invest in their health and wellness to a high degree also tend to be pretty good entrepreneurs. They tend to create their own podcast. They tend to do these other things as well. Whereas a lot of the time, if you looked at a typical personal trainer, they wouldn't have gotten a good reputation for their perhaps intelligence, their propensity towards trying different things. But I think that that speaks a lot to the fact that when you do focus on something so intensely and it does streamline your life to the point in which you're sleeping well, you're eating well, you're training well. So it can help someone really with that structure. And that gave me the next idea about your past in the sense of I've heard you speak about yourself as someone who's quite creative, who's quite laid back. So how did you find being so structured and streamlined with bodybuilding? Because that seems counterproductive to who you are as a person. I, I've always been incredibly laid back, right? So I've been, if I was any more laid back all the time, I'd be horizontal. You know, I, I tend to be very relaxed. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of have a, a nickname of, of, of last minute Larry. I'm, I'm super relaxed with stuff. I'm like, it'll get done eventually. It's okay. It doesn't need to be a stress. Because again, from the experience of dealing with stresses myself, from dealing with other individuals who are going through high levels of stress, I'm like, we just don't need to be getting wound up about this. We don't need to create excess stress about this. We don't need to create another issue down the line that we're all looking at. So from that front, when we can peel it right back, I'm just really, really calm. And like, when I need to go all in on something, I can just flip a switch and then go all in on it as well too, right? There needs to be that element of balance. But I understand that for me to go all in on something, I need to have the other side of it as well too, where I can just click the switch and then just turn it off and be disengaged from it as well too. And this is where I guess getting people more involved in that too, where, you know, something I like to to show people or demonstrate to people is like that they have had success in other areas of their life, right? That they have created massive wealth or they've created big success or whether it be in their relationships or business or whatever it may be. And they have this blueprint there for success already. And then we can just transfer that from how they've already created that into the rest of their life, into their health and fitness journey, into their fat loss, into their muscle building, whatever it may be, it's the same process, right? So for me, uh, going from being all in on bodybuilding or all in on, on my business, it's still the same formula. It's you know, been all in on helping people, whatever it may be. It's still the same formula. You put in structure, you put in routine, you put in discipline around that, you find an interest in it that makes it more appealing and then you get success in it. It, it. it is a really, really simple formula when you break it down to its bare bones basics, right? I'm intrigued though, because if you've made it sound very simple, but I think either people can relate with horizontal Larry or switched on hyper-focused Larry. So how have you been able to balance the two so successfully? It's um, it, it's by planning. People plan all their stressful stuff, but they never plan their non-stressful stuff. In terms of, I'm going to fill my diary with meetings, I'm going to fill it with events, I'm going to fill it with podcasts, I'm going to fill it with whatever it may be. And these are all things that stress me out. These are all work-related but I don't book in anything that's downtime. I don't book in hobbies. I don't book in activities. I don't book in things that I like to call ringing the mental sponge, ringing it out, because then we, we don't get to look forward to anything. There's a kind of no reward at the end of the week as well, too, from all this. And not that we should kind of reward ourselves. We're not dogs. We don't reward ourselves with food, but we reward ourselves with downtime or we reward ourselves with time off or time away. And that creates that element of balance. And I understand that tomorrow, like every Thursday, I will most likely be on a lake somewhere fishing, right? That's my downtown. That's my hobby. It's my activity. I love doing it. But that allows me to go all in further than in the earlier stages of the week, where I know that on a Sunday night, 
I'll be doing client check-ins all day Monday. I'm doing client check-ins on a Tuesday. I'm doing check-ins as well too with clients. I'm liaising back and forth. I know on those days that I have to be very well switched on. I have to be mentally prepared. Therefore, I know I need to have that balance on the other side of it that will allow me to be better at my job, that will allow me to be better at being a more tolerable husband, being a more tolerable father down the road, being a more tolerable son, whatever, or better coach, that I need those elements and aspects of that downtime, that switch, that laid back Larry to allow me to be the switched on version. So again, this is the balance. And to have that balance, there needs to be imbalance too, right? Yeah, I completely agree with that. I find that most people are on one side of the spectrum and I'll be completely honest here as well. I'm having a tough time trying to work out where that middle ground is, but I like the way that you've mentioned there is that, you know, you're basically facilitating your uptime by having your downtime as well. And it's integral. It's kind of a yin and yang and a push and pull relationship. And I do think that if we push too much, it ends up as burnout. If we pull too much, we end up not getting anything done and kind of can feel a little bit purposeless as well. So I think that integration of the two is a really, yeah, really, really helpful perspective to have. But just take a quick step back. We've mentioned kind of being selfish. We've talking about bodybuilding having a bad rap. I've heard you touch on people being selfish in a dieting process, maybe having a little bit of a bad attitude towards what they're doing, being okay with being miserable. What is your take on that? Well, if something makes me miserable, I just won't do it, right? It's like, <laughs> why purposefully do something that makes you unhappy? If that's a job, if that's a activity, if it's an endeavor, if it's a role, if it's a relationship, why be involved in it? You know, it's like, uh, now I, I do know that people look at me and they say, oh, you're super balanced and you've got all this balanced approach and you live super happy life and all this. I'm living this life now because I have the experience of going through phases where I was unhappy or where I was. And I'm not going to call on like the mental health or the depression card. I didn't experience any of that, thankfully. But I've been on the other end of the spectrum where I've been, just to come back to the last point, completely unbalanced as well too. I used to get up at three o'clock in the morning to start work. I used to go to bed at 11 o'clock at night. So this is now the discipline back in those days that allows me the freedom now with my time as well too, right? So like, was I completely happy getting out of the bed at three o'clock in the morning? Probably not to go do some work, right? So now it's again finding that level of balance. And I was unhappy with doing that. So then I took action on that and changed my life a little bit more. I peeled back some hours. I went online because of the amount of work volume I had to do. I had to peel some time back for myself because again, if I'm going to be unhappy or if I'm not going to be fulfilled with what I'm doing, it doesn't allow me to be a better version of myself or it doesn't allow me to be a better coach. It doesn't allow me to be a more, uh, a better partner, a better husband, a better whatever it may be. So now I understand why I'm doing all this because I've been on the other side of it that bit more. I've got a bigger reason why I need to have that level of balance. Why I was selfish at the time back then with my hours, with myself, with my personal development, with whatever it may have been is now laid the foundations for who I am now as well too, right? Because it is allowed me to develop my businesses, to allow me to develop those experiences that push me into where I am now at the moment, where I want to be. And this is something I think that's integral. And, you know, you see a lot of people getting into the industry in the early days or getting into anything in the early days and they kind of end up going all in, getting burnt out with it, but then not taking any of those experiences from it and carrying it over into their life where they want to go. They just kind of think that wasn't for me. I'm going to park it there and I'm never going to carry out any further on it, where they probably could have developed themselves and their business or their whatever based off those experiences and molded a better version of themselves from that too, right? And do you think there's a potential to be too balanced too soon on that note? I mean, if you tried to do this from the very beginning, it probably wouldn't have worked out well because it seems like your discipline in the early stages of paying off and you know, you're reaping the fruits of your labor now. But if you hadn't done that, would you be living the same lifestyle and the balanced approach that you have today? 
No, no, not at all. And, you know, this is where, again, like the literal years of, you know, it, it was funny yesterday. I was in a, I was in a car wash yesterday and I, I took up my laptop for a few minutes because I was in the car wash. And I was like, it was nice because I had the option of doing that while I was doing some work. Where before I remember literally driving with my laptop on, with my phone in my hand, contacting clients or doing emails or whatever. And that's like, please don't do that. Don't drive when you're doing this stuff. But that was completely imbalanced because every moment I had had to be all in on that. You know, I was waking up in the middle of the night to do work. I was like getting up at three o'clock. I was going to bed at 11. I wasn't seeing my partner. I was traveling on the weekends to go to education seminars, events. It was completely imbalanced. But now I'll always come back to that Jocko quote of the discipline equals freedom, that the discipline in the early days allows me the freedom now And if you don't put in that discipline now, you will not get that freedom. Yes, you can have a very balanced approach, but you're going to get a very balanced outcome, which is not really favorable. The outcome I have now is completely imbalanced. It's not a balanced life I have now because the imbalance in the early days on one side of the coin allows me the imbalance that I have now on the other side of the coin, where I have more time off, where I can work a couple of days a week and have way more time. But have it in a structured way that I've constructed this life and the lifestyle that I have now to be far more in my favor. And that's like, I'm not sipping on cocktails in the beach in Bali like the other online coaches. I'm living a, a very humble life, right? But it's it's on my terms, right? I'm living in a four bed house here. We've got a little bit of ground. Cool. But like, it's not a mansion. It's not, we don't have maids serving me fresh protein shakes every, when I click the bell or whatever. It's not yeah. like that. I'm, I'm not living a millionaire lifestyle, but I'm just living a life that's completely on my terms where before it was on the work's terms, it was on everything else's terms because it had to be imbalanced to get the level of imbalance that I now want. Does that make sense? Absolutely does. And I'm pushing on this topic because I'm just genuinely intrigued about how you got to this place. Did you have that foresight in advance? Were you almost working that hard to create this? Or was this kind of in the back of your mind is like, yeah, if I work hard now, I can maybe have a little bit more of a, not a laid back approach, but a more relaxed approach in the future. Was that always something in mind? Yes and no. In the early days, no, not at all. Because like I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I didn't have a clue where I wanted to go. It was literally just the next batch of emails the next week. What am I doing next month? There was no foresight with the actual business element of it all. I guess that transitioned when Kate, my wife, came into the business uh, in the earlier days, four or five years ago now. She's a lot more business orientated, right? Because like ask every personal trainer, they haven't got a clue about anything outside of rep sets and macros. And that's it, you know, and it's like, that's all we're interested in. That's all we really care about at, at that time. And then through other life experiences, we learn a little bit more, but that's kind of, it's our interest in lifting weights and eating healthy food and, and living that lifestyle initially that get us into the industry or people getting through injuries or their own fat loss journeys or whatever it may be. With Kate coming into the business, that allowed me to get this other in insight into what's actually possible down the road of planning a lifestyle you want to reverse engineer of when she came in uh, we spent a summer traveling while working as well too so we went done a a european road trip essentially and and spent a month in marbella at the end of it as well too and this kind of we had looked at that and we said right you know we want to move to marbella we want to live in the sun we want to have this laptop style lifestyle we tried it out and it just wasn't for us so now we had this kind of short medium term goal i guess uh, of moving abroad or living somewhere else because we could when I stopped working on the floor and we kind of said that wasn't for us and now it's kind of like well now what do we do you know it's like you have this now what you know so we just went back to the back to the drawing board and we said well actually the long-term plan that we wanted to do was move back home closer to my folks to Kate's parents as well too because we're from Wexford and Dublin is you know a couple of hours away up the road or whatever so that was the the next step then where we wanted to design our life 
to be closer to our families and to set down roots and to, to start our own family essentially from that front. So again, we took it on our terms, but like in the early days, we would have only been starting to go out, uh, whatever, when I started to go into personal training a lot more in, in the city and stuff. And that wouldn't have been remotely on your radar when you're, you know, 26, 27. I mean, that's, you know, you're, you're going to be pretty clued in. I think and a lot of people think this is the mistake they make as well, that they should be clued into what they want in these live, long-term plans or five-year plans when they're very, very young. This is kind of like where in Ireland, we've got the leave insert, right? So that's your, in sixth year, you do your final exams and you go on to university and you should know what you want to do in your life. It's like your GCSEs, I think, in the UK or your A-levels. And this is where you should understand what you want to do with your life when you're 18. It's like... <laughs> And it's, nobody has a nobody has a clue what they want to do when they're 18, right? So for me, it was like a transition that it wasn't until I got to maybe 30 or 32 that we kind of realized that we want this lifestyle or that we could have this lifestyle. That's a lot more on our terms. And while still, and I, I don't want to, you know, ignore this fact, the main driver is still to deliver a high-end service to clients that we're giving them a service because without clients, without the service that we deliver, we don't get that lifestyle as well too. So I don't just make it, a, it's not all about me. It's we're a byproduct of, of the clients that we have and the clients we attract and how we deliver a service to them as well too. So there's kind of this whole encompassing thing that we deliver a great service. We get great results with people by really caring and asking them the genuine questions about their lifestyle and their overall wellness and giving them what they want. And then in return, we get what we want as well too. So it's a, it's kind of a nice whole circle versus the other side of throwing up selfies of my abs and me flexing and me lifting heavy weights all the time. That's only self-serving to me. It's not self-serving to, it's not serving to my clients. It's not serving to their overall well-being or their improvements. It's just me flexing for myself, right? And that's a big mistake, I guess, a lot of people too make. I agree. And that brings me on to my next question quite nicely. And you've chosen to continue to focus on what you consider the general population. Even with the vast amount of experience you have, we mostly see people who go beyond 12, 13, 14 years, and then they start to specifically focus on bodybuilders or athletes, or they go down the physiotherapy route. What's kept you focusing on the general population and what's kept your passion? Initially, we would have set foot and when you when you start your PICP level one you think that you're going to train so you're at your Palquin level one when you go through the different gradings of this you've got to get an international level athlete and you've got to get a world record athlete to pass on to the next one and there we're thinking I'm just going to be training Olympians and the, the second I finish this course I'm going to train an Olympian and that's it and I'm going to be at the Olympics with my clients that's not the case at all. <laughs> you know, I've still yet to train an Olympian. I've trained some professional athletes, cool, but this is the allure we get and we're going to start off and it's all going to be guns blazing. We then realize that there's a lot more people in the general population who need a lot more help. And that's going to be your general client, right? For the most part, no matter what you put out there with your niche and your marketing with that. But then as my business developed and as my competitive interest developed as well too, right? With bodybuilding, I did niche down a little bit more into some competitors and maybe some Instagram kind of people and stuff like that as well too. And that would have portrayed me as being a specialist in that area. That would have portrayed me as being the competition guy or the prep guy or the photo shoot guy. While I was still dealing with probably 70% general population as well. My actual business, we registered the name as Body Composition Specialist, right? So that was my logo. That was my, uh, I've, I've still got the, the hoodies and jackets and jumpers inside with Body Composition Specialist. And we were at several seminars and different events. And it's like, you got to find your niche and you got to niche down and you got to be a specialist as opposed to a generalist because you don't want to be a jack of all trades. And 
you know, I started looking at this and I was like, you know, I'm a body composition specialist and I'm wearing this logo and people are saying, oh, he's a specialist, you know, he's the guy. But then I soon realized that like, I'm not, and it's not something I wanted to be at all. And like, if someone at the time was to say to me, okay, tell me exactly how body fat is broken down in the body. Tell me exactly the differences between compositional shifts and changes in the body at a cellular, molecular level and all this kind of crap. And I'm like, don't know couldn't tell you. And I was like, I'm not a specialist then. If I can't tell you about the ins and outs of the Krebs cycle or, you know, whatever it may be, protein turnover, whatever, I'm not a specialist then. So I'm like, I'm a generalist and that's not to put myself down, but like it wasn't in my interest to go into the vast depths of the real subtle nuances because I could spend another 20 hours a week studying all those things or 40 hours a week studying those things. Or I could go out and help someone make a better change to their life. I could help that average person have a far more meaningful impact on their life. And I guess some of that shifted from, I was helping some competitors and they've got some really hollow goals. And I I would put people through the most amazing transformations and they look outrageous. And just because someone else turns up on the day with their show, they get beat. And now they're in second place. And I was like, I'm not happy. You know, that's, it's not great. I I should have won, you know, such and such turned up and the judges screwed me or whatever. I was like, yeah, but look at what you've done with your body. This is completely out of your control who turns up on the day. And now you're not happy because of the outcome you've got. I'm like, I can bring a housewife or an executive or whoever through a 10 or 15 pound weight loss transformation. And they're the happiest person in the world. And they've genuinely improved their life where this competitor is now pissed off and depressed and goes binging for six weeks because they came second because some freak showed up that's just genetically better than them. This is not what I wanted to sign up for, those kind of headaches and hassles that came with that. So I'm like, I'm parking that. And I still have helped some people to to photo shoots and I still will help people to photo shoots and stuff like that. And vanity isn't a problem with the goal, but it's just looking at the outcomes that people have, the biggest problem I have with that. And it's just not something I want to be involved with because I can't help as many people and I can't improve more lives on a grand scale from that front and i'd much prefer to have someone message me and say listen i've been out for a date night with my husband for the first time in six months we've had a relaxed meal i'm really happy my dress fits me great versus someone posting a selfie of themselves with a trophy and just having a little bit of likes and whatever and a bit of personal thing you know and i know everyone's own personal journey is different but for me it just didn't give me a sense of satisfaction seeing people on stage and in tongue and tan you know and versus the individuals that I could really help out with and, and make a genuine difference to their life and have them say, you've changed my life. Like that, that's a really fulfilling thing as a coach to have someone say that to you. And we've been fortunate to have many, many people say that to us. And it's it's a really fulfilling thing. And it's, you know, really fortunate. And sound airy-fairy again, but it's something I'm really fortunate to be able to do for a living is to improve people's quality of life, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I've never looked at it from that perspective, but the net gain that you get on working with people who are going to be super pleased about 10 to 15 pound loss compared to someone who is going to get shredded, who's in the shape of their life, but because they got second or third place, you don't actually get that win. Neither of you do. As a coach, it doesn't mean that much because they placed second, they placed third. Whereas with that person you're working on who can, like I said, now go out on that date night, who can now pick up and chase after their child. And like those, things are super meaningful and i know personally like even with i had a very small brief stint with competing myself nothing has felt more satisfying than getting those messages back regarding someone's quality of life improving in just such a way that wouldn't seem that big to me if you compare the two like stepping on stage winning a trophy getting all of this praise versus someone saying well actually i went on the boat with my family this year when traditionally i would have been too scared that i was overweight to do it those two things seem worlds apart but it's so much more gratifying 
satisfying and satisfying both for yourself and the client when you focus on those. So I can completely relate with that. It's it's such a good, wholesome feeling just to have that. And that's what drives me at the moment. And like people say, oh, did you not get a bit bored of that? Or like, I mean, how could you possibly get bored of doing that for a living? Where again, you're providing serious value to someone's life where that may just be a written testimonial or like, you know, a lot of the transformations we've had, you won't see the visual from it because there isn't a visual transformation, but it's more of an internal shift that people are now feeling better. They're thinking better. They're performing better. You can't put that in a side by side because it might be the same looking person, but these are completely night and day different with it. And as the coach, you're really privy to seeing the inside journey with people. You get privy to some very deep information about people and and you get to know them on a very personal level and even with online because we can have those conversations we can break down a lot of barriers with people it allows us to just provide something that's completely life improving or life transforming for them with that aspect and it's it's such a cool thing to do yeah, I completely agree. And what you find as well is that a lot of people come to us, they've never had success in this before. If an athlete or a bodybuilder comes to you, they've had a good amount of success already, but this person might have already failed or quote unquote failed three or four diets in the past. It might have just not been the right approach for them. And then they come to you and they've lost their first five pounds and it's just like a huge win. So yeah, you get many, many more of those. And I feel like they're way more impactful. And on that note, you recently touched on a topic on a podcast that you did with Jordan Sire on the note of Ireland ranking second in the obesity charts in Europe, if I'm not mistaken. Was Malta first? Is that what you said? Yeah, Malta was first and Ireland was second, which is, it's not a, a table that we want to top at all. Like this is the, this is the L that we want to claim. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to claim the W here. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit more of your take on that? What was your response when you saw that? Because it, it's quite surprising. I was surprised by both Malta and Ireland being on the top of that. So I'm intrigued to get what your thoughts are with being so close to people on a day-to-day basis who would have contributed to this stat, essentially. People will say that the personal training market is saturated. Oh, there's too many gyms. There's too many trainers. There's too many. I was like, there's too much obesity. We have a clear problem right now at the moment with obesity. And it's clear and we can see the evidence there. We can see these statistics on it. And again, people assume this is a little bit more normal. People assume this is as it should be, or this is, well, just that's my genetics or that's my makeup or whatever. But like, it is a clear graph that this is constantly going higher and higher and we're losing the battle. And this is where my own aspect of coaching comes into it, I guess, from simplifying the whole thing of, can we peel it back? Can we make it more understanding? Can we break back the barriers? Can we reduce the confusion and craziness that everyone is trying to come out with, with optimizing or trying to supercharge your lifestyle. I was like, let's just improve it enough that we can stop you being obese. Let's just turn the tide on that, that little bit more. And a lot of people, right. An Irish mentality is right. And it's, it's a super, super Irish thing. It's like, that's just the way it is. You know, that's just that that's, it is what it is. Sure. We're going to be fat and that's just how we are. And uh, you know, a lot of people, there's a bit of guilt and there's a bit of shame around it all too. And it's like, again, it's trying to break down those barriers. It's trying to simplify it that little bit more but you know when we see a number in a statistic like this we can leverage off that that little bit more because we can say to people and have a pretty frank conversation how do you feel about being a part of that statistic do you want to be five ten years down the line when we top the table you know how do you feel about that how do you feel about your kids seeing that how do you feel about the other generations that are going to be coming up in this environment that it's now just understood that, well, we're a fat nation. And, you know, this is like, I could go down so many rabbit holes that I do and I don't want to touch on this, but like, you know, there's these movements like haze, like where it's health at every size. That's not beneficial. Yeah, we should love ourselves and we should be happy and content. 
But obesity is killing people. High blood pressure is killing people. Lack of activity and cardiovascular disease is killing people and have a positive impact on a small percentage or small fraction of that. We should take a lot of action and try our absolute damnedest to have an impact on that. You know, because again, like it comes back to, you know, get abs and get this and get shredded and get jacked. It's like, that's not helping it. It's in fact making it harder for people to get into this. It's making it harder and seems like a bigger barrier to entry for people now because it's creating this thing that's way too far from where they are currently in their own position in life that it just seems like, well, I'll never get there. So I'm not even going to start. So now if we can just peel it back that little bit more and say to people, let's just bring your BMI down that little bit more. Let's just peel it back a touch and just improve your health a little bit as opposed to a lot. Then you get buy-in, then you get interest and then you get momentum. And then it becomes a factor of their lifestyle as well too. But again, if we can leverage off that a little bit more and just ask people the difficult conversation or ask them the difficult question, how do you feel about being a part of that statistic? And people will say, and they'll look back at you with a very blank face. It was like, well, I don't want to die early. I don't want to be another statistic. And then they'll start taking action that little bit more. And this is a, a crucial role of the coach to ask these questions, I feel as well. Yeah. And it's kind of a horrifying thought in a way that they don't want to be a part of the statistic and they don't want to die early, but they're not even thinking about, I want to have a better quality of life. I don't want to be out of breath when I walk up the stairs. I want to be able to pick out my kids and not feel breathless after running around after them. And it's, it's crazy that we have to wait until there's such a grave circumstance. And so we actually have to do something, which brings me on to my next point. And I'm going to ask the question with a little bit more depth, because I feel like there's probably an initial answer you have, because there's an initial answer I have, but I want to get to what's beneath the layer of the first or second answer. But how optimistic are you realistically? And I'll just give you my take briefly on this, because if I thought, you know, things are improving, the fitness community is so much more inclusive. There's so many more people going to gyms, so much more female presence in the gym. This is going in the right direction, but obesity stats are still rising. So am I just a bit deluded by the fact that I'm in it so much or is it actually set to improve? Is it possible to improve or am I just being inundated by the people who want help and thinking, oh yeah, it is getting better and there's more coaches, so we are getting better. So how realistic are you and optimistic about the future of improving people's health and well-being and actually making that stat decline versus incline? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic if we can get it on a government level to actually have an impact on this, right? And on the bigger scheme that personal trainers alone will not make an impact on this because there isn't enough of us, right? And we're only in the health sphere and like the, the fitness sphere and the fat loss sphere. So we only really pay attention to that area. And when we're doing some of the seminars and events where we train other coaches, I'm like, how much do you pay attention to the outside world of what's actually going on in people's lives? Or are you just on Instagram looking at reels? Are you just posting pictures of people with abs or competitors or whatever? Because that's not the real world. And when we start to pay attention to what's actually happening in people's lives, and I think lockdown was a benefit to that degree that we could actually see what a sedentary person's life is really like. Because now all of a sudden, when a lot of trainers were on the gym floor, their steps are now like five or 7,000 a day as opposed to 30,000 a day or maybe 2,000 a day because now they're online and they're doing a lot of this. And now we get a real insight to what an average person's day is really like. Because again, we live in our own little bubble all the time. And from a personal trainer's only point of view, we won't make a dent on this because it needs to be at a greater level across the board. And if we can get into schools, if we can get into being more aligned with other healthcare practitioners as well too, like with doctors, etc., and build up a network, that can have a greater impact as well too. But it's starting at like a grassroots level where we need to have kids transferring their thought process that little bit more towards health. They're the people who are going to be part of that statistic 
realistic down the road, whether it's in the positive or the negative side. And if we can impact those and their parents' lives and their education around food and maybe nutrition and how to actually cook a meal, how to have something nutritious in the house, how to shop better. These are the things that are going to impact obesity as opposed to you need to hit 10,000 steps a day. That's not beneficial on the grand scheme of things. It's, it's looking at that base level of where you can attack it and say, well, chat to the kids, chat to the parents. And that's going to have a far bigger impact through schools, through government initiatives, etc. That's a, another conversation for a bigger day, I guess, with it all. But I am optimistic, but only if we can get it from the higher levels to, to trickle it down through the chain. Because what, a couple of thousand personal trainers in the country, maybe more, we're not going to be able to, in Ireland, like we've got 7 million people here now. So the ratio of trainer to general population is still vastly outnumbered. You know, most trainers can handle 20, 30 clients. And most of those are going to keep their journey to themselves. They won't try and pack their other families or their other wider network as well with that too. So in the grand scheme of things, we're probably helping a couple of hundred thousand people maybe at the most, but that's a trickle in the ocean compared to 7 million. So if we can take that at that grassroots level and impact that on a broader level, that's going to have a far greater, you know, and then even if governments can look at this and say, well, that's actually going to reduce the burden on the healthcare system down the road. That's going to reduce the amount of finance that's going to be spent or lost into that, that it's going to reduce the amount of expenditure that's going to be on blood pressure, that's going to be on cardiovascular disease, that's going to be on obesity and all these other clinics that are going to have to be set up and spent millions on and billions on down the line, then they might take it a little bit more serious and see where we can really start saving some money and invest it into other areas with health and awareness around that as well too. Aside from the alleviation of the healthcare system and placing less strain on that, what other incentives do they have? Because if I'm just looking at it from a perspective, if I'm a government official, I've got, what, four years in term and I need to make some changes to get maybe reelected or to keep my party in power. I'm thinking about what I can do right now. Hence things like weight loss job, for example. I'm not thinking about going into schools on a grassroots level and laying down foundations for 20, 30, 40 years. I don't think people have that kind of visionary perspective. So how do you think that's actually going to happen if there's no incentive in the moment? Yeah, and then that's the problem that we face because if there isn't a bigger picture created, if there isn't a long-term project that's over 20, 30, 40 years, we're looking at climate change and all these things are getting really a lot of focus now and that we have to go completely carbon neutral by 2040 or whatever it may be. There should be that. If we can see the positive impacts from those long-term systems, that maybe they will start to look at it then and say, well, actually, we've had a lot of success with long-term planning. How can we transfer much like here's the success in the individual's life. How can we transfer it to another area? We've created success with this one plan. How can we now put it into healthcare? And again, that's looking at all the other things. And that's not just purely fat loss. That's like just getting people moving and active that little bit more. And if it's a case of maybe subsidizing gym memberships, if it's a case of subsidizing some fruit and vegetable special that you might get a discount on those, whatever it may be, reducing taxes on healthier foods and increasing taxes on less healthier foods. And then we've got all the, if it fits your macros, people screaming in the background, but it's not a problem to drink Coca-Cola. I was like, well, it is for a lot of other people. So we got to look at that in the grand scheme of things and actually think about eating a lot healthier and promoting that from that aspect. But you're right. It's like, if there is no short-term win for that person looking for the election, if they're not getting more votes down the line, they're not going to follow through with it. Right. And that's the unfortunate aspect that we have to battle as well. Which I think leaves us with personal responsibility. What role does that take in the current state of things? When you look at like people don't have much awareness of themselves, you know, and that's a big issue as well, too, that if you haven't got that personal awareness and again, well, 
I'm just fat. That's my genetics. My family have always been overweight. Well, I'm going to be overweight then too. Therefore, my kids are going to be overweight. And then you're a byproduct of your environment. And that just seeds itself and grows a lot more. And this is another issue with that as well too. But it's one we're going to have to look at and battle. And this is where like personal trainers come into it as well. And it's like, if we can create that awareness to knock onto one person that knocks onto a second, a third, a fourth, and you can say, well, okay, can we help impact some of your friends' lives or your family's lives? Or how can we spread this that little bit more? Then we can have a broader impact on it all. And that's where I've got into a little bit of education work with other trainers, because I can only serve X amount of clients. If I can help them improve their service, then they can have a broader scheme and a broader cast of their net across the board with it all, where now we can you know, impact thousands of people's lives potentially. And this is where, again, it has a greater downstream effect. And I think if trainers can just think that little bit bigger with it all as well, too and not as selfish with it all, then we can improve the whole thing because it will be received back down the line when we help more people as well too. Yeah, I used to have the mindset of if I help one person, it's enough, but I've really retired that many years ago. And I was like, that's such a disservice to what I could actually do and think of the impact that you can make. And as you mentioned, when you look at the downstream effect of then helping one family and then having that generational impact, and the same goes for yourself in terms of coaching other coaches to be better at delivering the service and therefore getting their own clients' results. And then that knock-on effect goes further and further. And like I said, it could be just a drop in the ocean, but I think if everyone started to adopt a little bit more of that mindset, set, maybe it would be a few more drops in the ocean, which could hopefully shift the tide a little bit. But on that note, if someone's listening right now and they're like, I don't want to be part of this stat, I do want to take personal responsibility. I don't want to have to rely on the government. What three fundamental principles would you give that person? There's a couple. And I think the first would be to uh, fix your own oxygen mask first, right? So help, help yourself before you do try to help others. And this is where I'll relate it back to the mom or the dad. And the, like they have to be able to provide their own energy. And much like myself taking a day off every week to do my own hobbies and activities, it's to allow me to be a better version of myself that I can serve better and perform better and do all that as well too. So it's fixing their own oxygen mask as opposed to trying to spin all these other plates all the time. So it's prioritizing themselves is is one. Then I would look at the broader aspect of it. And it's a conversation I have with all clients as well too, to say like, what I want to do with you is going to have downstream effects with your family. I don't want you to sit at the far end of the table and you have to eat chicken and broccoli and the rest of your family are eating a, a curry or whatever it might be. That can we make this more inclusive with you and your activities that and your food and what you're portraying to them as well too? Because you don't want to be the black sheep and that's where friction is created with individuals when they're trying to make change. And people will say, oh, you know, stop being so dry, come out on the beer with me or have an extra bag of chips, whatever it might be. And thing but like if we can get people to be involved that little bit more there's less friction with it all to be a little bit more inclusive with their diet to not be as restrictive and rigid with their diet but then also that their partner now sees that they can be more included in it their kids see that there can be more included in it and that there's not this us and them kind of an aspect to it that i'm dieting and you're not so now you've got the kids on board, you've got the partner on board, that creates that wider net that it's casting them with these lifestyle changes that you're trying to put in from that point of view. If we could do those two, I think that'd be huge, right, as well too. But as far as the other third, like we could go the cliche saying, right, get something that's way more sustainable and get something that you can actually adhere to, something you can enjoy, something that actually provides you with a bit of zest to get up in the morning. Because like if you, you know, I'll, I'll say to people all the time, it's like if you hate doing deadlifts and what 
walking on a treadmill. Why the hell would you go do that? It's almost like I said earlier on, it's like, why would I do something I dislike? And if this is, for me, I would have had a great emotional attachment to certain exercises and certain styles of training and certain methods. And I'm like, if you want to go dance in your garden in a hula hoop for your exercise, have at it. Go nuts. Get the biggest, brightest hula hoop you can get and just go nuts in your garden. <laughs> because now that person is exercising, right? I'll say like, I've no problem with people doing Zumba or people doing whatever crazy exercise they might be doing because it's exercise. And the worst thing we can do is to criticize someone when they've tried to make a positive change. Oh, what are you doing dancing in the garden, you hula hoop, you idiot? That's stupid. You know, this person has now said to themselves, I want to make a positive change to my life and that I'm going to take a step myself and have more autonomy in my approach and be more self-driven. But now I'm told that it's wrong. Now I've been told that I'm an idiot. Now I'm an outcast. I'm going to stop because I can just blend in and not have the hassle of doing that. And I'm just going to be a part of that statistic again. So this is where people doing the biggest loser challenge or operation transformation or CrossFit or whatever people want to do. It's like, go do it and have support in your community, have support from those around you and ask them for support as well too. And the people who are given the support, it's like to genuinely give it and be authentic about it as well too and say, listen, good job. You're making a really good change. And then maybe down the line, right? If you think that they're still being a little bit crazy and starting to harm themselves a little bit, maybe we can bring them around a little bit because they might understand it a bit more themselves. But the worst thing we can do is to criticize someone or to give them slack for trying to make a positive lifestyle change in their own lifestyle and taking control and autonomy on it. Because the more barrier to entry, the more friction there is, the less people are going to get involved. The more elitism that we have with the whole thing, the less people are going to get involved. The less this, you know, putting everything on a pedestal and it has to be perfect and has to be optimal and everything has to be 100%. If not, you're a failure and you suck. That's the biggest fear people have. And it's a fear of failure. It's a fear of being criticized. It's a fear of being shamed. It's a fear of getting it wrong. But if we can remove that barrier to entry, we're going to have a lot more people exercising. We're going to have a lot more people feeling healthier, feeling better, feeling improved with their life. And I think that's a huge aspect of it, that if we can improve that, we now get more people involved. And that's ultimately what we want, because now it brings down that statistic into our favor a lot more. Absolutely. And on that note, you've got a child on the way. How are you planning on integrating health and fitness into your child's life? It's an interesting one, right? Because everyone wants to give their little piece of advice. Everyone's wanting to say, oh, you know, that kid's going to be born lifting a dumbbell or it's going to be born with a broccoli in its mouth or it's going to be whatever, right? My kid's going to do what my kid wants to do. And if they're a byproduct of their environment, they'll come up with a, a quite a healthy approach to it all. They'll see me training and exercising. They'll see me having a balanced approach. They'll see me having ice cream. They'll see me having chicken and broccoli. They'll see me doing all these things. And it's monkey see, monkey do. And if I can install some healthy habits and not like the healthy habits are the good and the bad. And it's a blend of both as opposed to me being this militant dad who says, right, you got to get up at six o'clock in the morning and tag in like Jocko and do your 4,000 push-ups. <laughs> I don't want to be that dad because if I've got this dream of having my child coming up and they're going to be a weightlifter and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. But now all of a sudden they don't want to do it. Um, I can't excommunicate my child. I can't kick them out to the, the dark and like, see it kid better luck next time whatever so if for me it's to and this sounds like it, once i can portray a balanced approach once i can portray and kind of install that this is what hard work can get you or this is where you should aspire to go to if they want to do that that's cool if they don't want to do it 
that's also cool. I've got to love and appreciate the journey that they want to go on. But in saying that, the environment's going to be very conducive. If your mum and dad are a lawyer, chances are you're going to be a lawyer. If your mum and dad are school teachers, chances are you're going to be a school teacher. My child coming up in a family that's involved in health and fitness, I'm hoping that it's going to be someone involved in health and fitness. Do I want them to be an Instagram model when they grow up or whatever? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) You will not be selling protein for a 10% discount code. No, that's not going to happen. So long as, again, cheesy cliche, so long as I have a healthy and happy child and myself and Kate are healthy, I don't care, you know, and that's kind of as far as it goes with that really, you know. I appreciate that answer. That's a, that's a beautiful answer. And on to my final question, what impact do you want to leave on the health and fitness industry? Everyone wants their legacy, right? And it's like everyone has this dream and aspiration. If we can have a long list of people who have said that we've improved their life and their quality and that they've been able to sustain that, that's a win for me. Because if we do a six-week transformation and everyone loses 20 kilos in the six weeks, but now they're 25 kilos heavier 12 weeks later, that's a major fail. My goal is to have people improving their own autonomy and their approach. It's a really bad business model that if someone does 12 weeks coaching with me, by week 13, I want them to understand the journey. I want them to understand the processes involved that when they get to week 13, if they decide to go off on their own thing, that they know what to do as opposed to, I'm lost, Larry's not here, how do I do this? I don't know how to health and fitness anymore. That's a big failure on my half as a coach that I'll take a lot of ownership and say that it's on me personally to improve their life. It's not up to them to follow the plan. And that's the big problem people have, that when we're pointing the finger, what a lot of people realize is that there's three fingers pointing back at me. And that's on me to to break those barriers down, to create that level of education, to create that level of insight that they can understand and carry it forward in their own life, be it with their family, with their kids, with their wife, with their partners, whoever it may be. And that's, I guess, the legacy I'd love to have is to create more of a sustainable approach that people can incorporate into their lives and not have it purely aesthetically focused or not have it purely weighing scales focused or abs focused. That's miles away from where I want to be with the approach. Fantastic. Yeah, I think you're doing a great job of that. And I really appreciate you sharing the wisdom today, especially given the fact you have been in the industry for so long. It would have been so easy for you at this point to be like, eh, I'm done with this. Eh, you know, it's it's someone else's job now, but your passion for it still shines through and it's very clear in everything that you do and the way you speak. So I'm very grateful. And it's great for me to look forward as well, understanding that you can get to that place within the industry and still be just as passionate about helping people as you were from day one, if not even a little bit more passionate than you were because it's evolved and it's changed. So I really appreciate that. So if people want to keep up with your personal journey, what's going on with you and your businesses, where can they find you? Instagram is probably the, the easiest, but just first, I appreciate the kind words on that as well too. And we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, right? As well too. So it's like there's, there's levels to it all. And there's many, many people way, way, way above me as well too. So I don't want to think that I'm near the top at all. But with that, Instagram is going to be the place to get me with that. So it's Larry underscore Doyle underscore coaching. Uh, LarryDoyleCoaching.ie is uh, my website. I've got a podcast as well, the Gen Pop podcast. Uh, so you can check all that out there as well too. And hopefully uh, we can you know connect with others around the world as well too and improve their lifestyles. Amazing. Thank you so much for today, Larry. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. 
Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.